0: Well, we are starting a new new series, and if you want to think about bondage and slavery and salvation and sin, uh, probably one of the best places to go to kind of get a concept of what is going on with all of those interacting with one another is probably the book of Exodus. And so my goal is to kind of walk with the people of Israel, walk with Moses, their leader, and learn from them. Uh, Some of you are experts, you've been through these stories a number of times, you kind of know the idiosyncrasies, you've heard all the characters, though there may be two here that if I were to ask you in a quiz you wouldn't know their name. But that being said, you're pretty well educated on this. Some of you have no clue uh, what Exodus is other than uh, you've seen maybe a Disney cartoon or something like that. Uh, and that's okay, because we're all at different places, and that's okay. The goal in this series is for you to get a better understanding of the historical and theological background of the Old Testament. Because it's very relevant when we start going to the New Testament. And we'll see that even even uh, this weekend as we look at the passages we're going to look at. So we're, gonna be, going be, we're going to be, I'm going to be, I shouldn't say we're going to be, i should say we are going to be i am going to do, do a, a little bit more reading of the text, because I want you to get a feel of the historical text and what's going on. I think the stories are very interesting. They're um, just filled with uh, a number of things. And, and what I'm, what I'm going to suggest, too, is as I read through the passages, I want you to be kind of thinking about what's going on there, because there's things within the passage that you may miss that I'm going to try to point out. But let me just give you. Um, historical context of what's going on here uh we we end the book of genesis chapter 50 and we have joseph who is in egypt he's probably very close to the pharaoh he's got a lot of power his family comes in his family numbers around 70 ish somewhere around there they're generally farmers they're given good land, they're given a place to develop, and they're going to be left alone by the, uh, the Egyptians. They're the guests of the Pharaoh, so they're in a very good place. And Joseph is taking care of his family, okay? So that's where we end the book of Genesis. The beginning of, book, of Exodus, verse uh, chapter 1, uh, now we find Israel and their prisoners, they're, they're slaves. They're crying out to God. This is not a good thing. Now, when you read your Bible, sometimes you read, you know, chapter 50, and then you go to Exodus 1, and you begin you continue reading. You're going, okay, what happened here? Well, 400 years happened between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. Now, think back in American history. 1600? you remember much of what was going on there? Let's go back 200 years. So there, 400 years has gone on. There's many pharaohs that have followed the pharaoh of Joseph. So there's a, a long tradition there. Uh, Israel Israel's no longer a guest. They're slaves. Uh, and pharaoh is working them hard. And that's where we want to jump into the text. So Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to jump down to verse 6 and get a feel for what's going on, so we can get a feel for what's going on here. Uh, so Exodus 1, verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They, they multiplied great, greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal with them shrewdly. Or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and lead the country. So they put slave masters over them and oppressed them with forced labor. And they built Pidim and Ramses. As a store uh, as store cities for Pharaoh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. So you can see that this this bondage is getting bigger and bigger, and it's it's stronger, it's harder. So Pharaoh, uh, if that weren't enough, he he kind of wants to ratchet the pressure down even more. And so he tries to enact a genocide policy for every Hebrew uh, young boy or every Hebrew baby. And uh, we read that next. So, you know, jump over to verse 15 of chapter 1. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shiphrah and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you, not let, the boys, why, why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered the pharaoh, Hebrew women... Are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families of their own. Now, there's a couple of interesting parallels. We don't have time to dive into them. But one interesting parallel is between Pharaoh and herod remember when jesus was born what was the command that herod gave kill all the young boys right because he saw all the young boys that this if this jesus this is the messiah was born he saw him as a threat so there's an interesting parallel between pharaoh wanting to kill the the, the boys and and uh herod. Secondly, there's an interesting parallel between the Hebrew midwives and the Magi. Remember the Magi? They were the wise men who came. And, and Herod says, when you find them, you come and tell me. And what did they do? They found Jesus and they were warned, no, don't tell Herod. And they just took off and they left, right? And so they didn't listen. They didn't listen. So there just a couple interesting parallels that we see in Matthew and the, the Gospels in the birth. But the next thing we want to see is this. Now, Israel has such a burden upon them. The Hebrew people are, are being just given terrible burdens. And genocide has is, is been given the order for all young boys, uh, baby boys. And so now, the question is, how is God going to raise up a deliverer? Who is going to be the deliverer for the nation of Israel? And this is where we jump into the text again. <clears throat> so jump to chapter 2, verse 1. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Now, we already know that there's a, there's a kill order out for this. Then the sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Should I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go. She answered, So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Now, Uh, She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking at this way and and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What, did, I, I, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. And we want to draw three lessons out from this passage in the passages we've been reading because I think that they're very helpful for us as we think about bondage, we think about salvation, and we think about slavery. The first one is, we find salvation when we determine there is nothing greater to, to uh, give ourselves to than God. Um <clears throat> I think if you were to ask the Hebrews who were in the bondage, what's your biggest problem? What They would say the slavery, the bondage that we're living in. If, if, we, could, if we could be set free of this, our life would be great. Our life would be wonderful. Our life would be perfect. And uh, in reality, they do get that salvation, and they do get let out in the wilderness, and they do get freedom. But they realize that that freedom really wasn't their issue. And that's the way it is with us. The, uh, oftentimes, uh, we think, Oh, it's just this. If I could get, just get past this or just get past this, then I would truly, you know, I'd be free. I'd be set free and clear. And, and in a lot of ways, it would bring relief. But there, there's deeper things going on that hold us in bondage. And that's really what we want to look at. Uh, slavery is, their slavery wasn't an external bondage. It really was an internal bondage. And we'll see that as we follow the nation of Israel and Moses as they go out in the wilderness. That they're struggling with some internal issues. Now remember too, the nation of Israel doesn't know Yahweh. They don't know God. Because it's been 400 years they've been living in a foreign land. And they haven't, you know, worshipped, you know, probably. And and so now God, through the plagues, and we'll see that coming up, uh, is going to show him who he is. Because they don't even know who he is. They have no idea. So Moses goes to Pharaoh excuse me, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, he never says, it's, it's interesting too. <clears throat> so later on, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, Moses is going to, God's going to tell Moses, I want you to leave my people out of Egypt. And he says, well, go get somebody else. You got the wrong person. There's got to be somebody better than me. God says, no, you're going to do it. And uh, we, you know, the only, the only thing we remember is, the Charlton Heston movie where Charlton Heston comes before the Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. That's not what Moses said. If, if you read the text, what it says is this. In fact, it says it nine times as, as Moses is confronting the Pharaoh. This is what it says. Let my people go that they may worship me in the desert. That adds a big wrinkle, doesn't it? Because we live in a world today that says freedom is that I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, doesn't matter who it affects. Freedom is that I get to do anything I do. I have enough money, I have enough power, I have enough ability to do whatever I want. And what what, uh, Moses is, is communicating to us is freedom comes when we find the true and living God and we worship Him our Creator, our Worshipper, and our Savior. So that's really what we need to look about. Um, and, and, and what I wanted to share with you this weekend is this. Unless you're serving the living God, unless He's the most important thing in your life, unless He is absolutely, uh, you are absolutely centered on Him, you're a slave. You're a slave. You're only free... If God is your total master. And that's a hard concept because there's a lot of good slaves out there. I mean, uh, probably the most destructive thing that sin does in our lives is push us to believe that uh, an act without any thought of God or concern or dependence upon God. After all, after all, wasn't that the first temptation in the garden? Uh, the, the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and says, if you eat, you'll be free of God. You'll be like God. You won't need God anymore. You'll be able to do things on your own. You won't have to live under his leash anymore. Now, this next statement is going to sound strange to some of you. The most evil thing you can do in your life is to seek to live independently from God. When you have an attitude of, it's my life and I'll do what I want, and no one can tell me what to do. And and that's exactly what our pop culture says. You live your life the way you want. No one has a right to tell you how you should live. That's the American creed. And what what we're learning here, what we're seeing here, and what we're going to see even more is, as we go through this, that bondage comes when you think that's freedom. Because that's not freedom. In our culture, it's seen as the ultimate freedom, but it's the ultimate slavery. Now, what are some of those good masters that we give ourselves to? They're good things. They're not bad things. Um, uh, we make good things, God-sized things, and we live for them. And you say, well, how do I know if I'm living for them? When they're challenged, when they're, they're getting destroyed, when they're not working out, your life begins to fall apart. You say, well, what am I going to do? And they could be good things. Like, I, like, it could be your career. career. Having a career is not a bad thing, but if you make it a God thing, what happens when your career starts to fail? You start to fail. Uh, what about family? Family's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing. But what happens when you have this dream of these beautiful kids that are obedient and loving and caring and, and they grow up and you realize that they're independent and they make their own choices and sometimes that's not good and sometimes they don't say the nicest things or do the nicest things to one another or to you. Now what do you do? How about your health? You say, well... Uh, Health is a big thing, and sustaining health, and I exercise, and I eat right, and then all of a sudden, you go into the doctor's office, and he says, I'm sorry, you've got cancer, we're going to have to do chemotherapy. And you go, what am I going to do? Your life will fall apart when you take good things. These are all good things, but you make them God things, and you rely upon them, and you place your life on them. And you, these things were never meant to hold your life. Never meant to hold your life. If we make good pursuits, God pursuits, we're living in bondage. Only God can set us free. And he sets us free only as we pursue him. And we're told today that following God brings bondage. I want to just say to you, freedom only comes from following God. And most people, if you were to tell people that, they would say, well, that's nice for you, or that's... And, and and they'd have a nice smile and they'd be respectful for the most part. And they would say, that's good for you. Now, most of what I've said up to this point, most of you would say, amen. Uh, you would probably say, yeah, I agree with what you've shared so far. But when all is said and done, if you're honest... If you look at your last week, your last month, you've really been living for yourself and not for God. Uh, how often have you prayed? Prayer is, a, is a, a measure of your dependence upon God. How often have you, when you had a decision to make, you said, let's, let's, let's talk to God about it. Let's ask God. Let's see what the Word of God has to say about it. Um. So 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 the question I'm asking is this is freedom comes when we determine there's nothing greater to live for than for God than God himself and to believe that we're living more and more for him and understanding more and more what he wants from us and how to follow him because as we follow him we find freedom. We find life. We find joy. We find happiness. We find hope. All those things come as we follow him more and more. So that's the first thing. And again, this goes counter to our culture. Because the Hebrew slaves are thinking all we need to do is be set free from the bondage and we'll be okay. But when they get out in the wilderness, you're going to see all sorts of stuff go on. They're free and it's not going well. Okay? Uh, Here's the second thing. We find salvation as God works behind the scenes, often during bad and difficult times. One of the interesting things, and this is one of the observations I was hoping that you would see. It's very interesting to me at this point, as you read the passages we read through. God is only mentioned once. Once. He's only mentioned where the midwives feared God, right? Essentially, that in that passage, in that part, he's only mentioned. He's not mentioned at all. There's bondage coming on his people. They're crying out to him. Uh, there's a death threat on these young babies, and, and 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 you say, well, where is God? And have you felt that in your life, where things are going on in your life, and you say, well, where's God? Where you know, I don't see him. I don't. I don't. I don't. Feel his presence. What's going on with that? But he is there. He's working. Uh, see, Pharaoh, what, what, what's, I love this story. And when, the reason I love this story is because I think God has such a great sense of humor. So Pharaoh tries to kill all the Hebrew boys. And God saved them through who? The midwives who what? Feared God. Worshiped God. Ag- acknowledged God and because they feared God he gave them fruitful families so god raises up a deliverer moses and he protects him through divine intervention where was moses raised in pharaoh's house that's hilarious to me it's hilarious to me that moses or that pharaoh is concerned about these the the population of the hebrews and here's the one that's going to lead the people out of, the, out of Egypt. And he is the one who is educating him, feeding him, clothing him, caring for him. It's just hilarious to me. And here's another wrinkle. His mother gets paid to care for her son. <laughs> I just love it. I just love it. Um, he places him right under Pharaoh's nose. Has his daughter pay his mother to have him raised, and and, and I just think that's God's uh, sense of wonderful sense of humor. So Moses grows up and he sees this this uh, Egyptian beating on one of his brothers, brother uh, Israelis, Hebrews, uh, Hebrew brother, <clears throat> and he immediately strikes the man dead. He over he should never have done that. He thinks it's done in secret. It's not. He sees two uh, Hebrews fighting one another and he realizes that that the jig is up, that everybody knows what he did, so he flees before Pharaoh takes his life. And uh, he's going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. Now, he's not doing it because he blew it and he, he sinned. That's not why... It's because God is going to, take, it's going to take 40 years to prepare Moses for the next 40 years as he's leading the nation of Israel. So the, the point is, what you have to see is... That, now, it's interesting, too, because it says in Numbers... Let me read you this passage. In Numbers twelve three. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. How do you think he became that humble? 40 years in the wilderness. I don't think he went into the wilderness humble, but I know that he came out of the wilderness humble, and that happens. Sometimes it's through those hard, difficult times of our lives where God breaks us down and we look to God and we say, God, I'm, I, I'm helpless and hopeless without you. I need you. We, we yield to him. We bow to him. We say, you are God and I am not. And it humbles us. And as we humble ourselves before God, it can't help but humble us. James tells us that these are positive times. Because it doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. It means that he's doing a deeper work within us. And we looked at this a, a, number of, uh, a couple of months ago. Where James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. I just want to say this to you. You may be going through those, that 40-year that period or that, that dry period, that quiet period where you say, where is God? Why am I going through this? Well, then at least look to God. And what I find is when people go through trials and tribulations, they get angry with God and they say, I'm going to walk away. Well, it's the worst thing you can do because God wants to work in your heart and life through this dry time, this desert time. Sometimes God needs to take us into the desert where all the things we depend upon for security, significance, and satisfaction dry up. Where when we get to a place and we say that all that we can do is look to God. You're all I have. I'm not relying upon anyone or anything other than you. He does this so we will look to him who is the only one who could fill our lives with these essentials. Here's the third thing we want to talk about. We find salvation not through the powerful but through the weak. God has a way of working through outsiders, not insiders. He loves using people no one would expect. God loves using the poor, the marginalized, the excluded, and the oppressed. And he does this here. Pharaoh came to these midwives and he said, when it's a boy, kill it. Now, you can't can't be blatant about this. This has to be an accident. Because... There's a lot of these Hebrews, so you have to do this. So, you know, there's a, there's a fear. Um, but what, what do we know about the midwives? Now, it's interesting, as you look at the midwives in this culture, uh, most of the time, and many scholars tell us that the midwives in this culture, the Hebrew midwives, were unable to bear children themselves. And that's why they were available to, to be there for the Hebrew women. Uh, so they were, the, the significance is these women uh, were, and they were seen as cursed by God. So in the society of the Hebrews, they were seen as, no, they weren't men, they were women, that's strike one, but they weren't just women, they were women who were barren, which was strike two, you know, so 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 they were seen as the left outs, the cursed of God, the ones who were devalued within society. But what did God do to reward them for their faithfulness? He gave them families. (laughs) They they began having children. God opened their wombs up, and they began to have children. He gives them children. They became very fertile, and the families thrived. Here's the point. God saved the Hebrews through women who were the lower status midwives who were lower than most women. These midwives stood up courageously and they defied Pharaoh. They obeyed God rather than men and acted creatively in acts of social disobedience in the face of social injustice. Out of obedience to God. God used them. Lowest of the low, social outsiders, gender outsiders, economic outsiders, to be the saviors of his people. I love that. So can God use you? Whatever excuse you're giving as to why God can't use you, whether it's birth or gender or age or resource, education or race, whatever you want to make it, whatever excuse you make, you are not understanding the power of God. If God wants to use you, he will resource you. Now, if there's anyone in this room, anyone on any of the campuses, whether it's Kennedy or Roshek, anyone watching online, any of you that are hearing this message or watching it, and you think that you Maybe somebody told you you're nobody. You'll never about to anything. You'll never, be, you'll never do anything significant with your life. You're, there's not much about you. If, if you're watching, if you're willing to put God first, can I just say buckle up? Because God loves using people just like you and me. Now, I'm going to prove that to you right this very minute. And here's how I'm going to prove it to you. We don't know who the pharaoh was. Pharaoh was a title governor, pharaoh, okay? We don't know who the pharaoh was. There are many pharaohs. You know who we do know? We know the names of the midwives. The names of the midwives were Shipra and Pua. (laughs) We're reading the names of these two women thousands of years after they acted out. They were no one, but we're talking about them today. And they're in God's word. Their names are written in the word of God. One last thing we want to talk about. Moses points to a wonderful deliverer. And and I want you to just turn for a moment to Luke 9, and we'll close with this passage. Luke chapter 9, and I'm going to start at verse 28. This is uh, the famous passage where Jesus takes a few of his disciples, and they go to the mount, up on the mountain of they call it the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus has a conversation with a couple of men, and it's interesting. You'll see who he's talking to. <clears throat> verse nine or verse twenty-eight of chapter nine. <clears throat> About eight days uh, after Jesus said this, he took Peter, uh, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in the glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Now, what were they talking about? Well, he tells us. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring the fulfillment uh, to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So this is a very mysterious meeting on top of the mountain. Jesus' face begins to shine. These two Old Testament heroes show up on the mountain and they begin to dialogue with Jesus about his the text says his departure. Now, when you look up that word departure in the Greek, it literally says Exodus. They're talking about the Exodus of Jesus, which I thought was interesting. So, what is that all about? I think what they're talking about is they're talking about Jesus and his death as being an Exodus. But I don't think they're talking about it's going to be his Exodus. I think he's talking about the exodus for us. You see, he came to set us free. He came to liberate us. He came to deliver us. And it was through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, that we have been delivered, exited, out of sin, out of death, out of all of that. And I believe that that's what he's talking about here. Jesus would take the bondage of our sin and liberate us from the power and penalty of sin. He came to lead us out, to liberate, to bring the only ex- only exodus for us from sin. Moses risked his life for his people. Jesus gave his life for his people. And I think that's what he was talking about. I think it's an amazing passage, especially when you understand the context of what is going on in the exodus. And as he's raising up Moses to be a... a a prefigure of the ultimate one who would come and liberate his people. Moses led his people out of Egypt. He led them out and gave them physically a new location. He brought them out of the bondage of Egypt, took them out of Egypt, but he could not set their hearts free from the power of sin. And what Jesus did on the cross was he came to set us free to exit us out of the power and penalty of sin and death. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. Here's what it comes down to. Bob Dylan got it right. You got to serve somebody. But too many people take this to mean, okay, I'll I'll go to church, I'll believe in God, I'll be good. But if you do that, I'll turn over a new leaf, I'll do better, I'll work harder, I'll do the Avis plan where we'll try harder, we'll do better, give, you know, give me one more chance. When, when you do that, you're trying to be your own Moses, your own savior. You can't do that. You need somebody who's going to set you free. And you can't set yourself free. The people of Israel needed Moses to come and set them free. They needed a leader. We need a, somebody greater than Moses to set us free from the power of sin and death. It's only when you say, Lord Jesus, Father in heaven, save me because of Jesus, not because of my service to you. I will never do enough. I will never be good enough. Tr- I trust in Jesus for my salvation, not in me. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. This is the first act of submission to God. It is the only way to find your spiritual exodus. Let me just close with a passage that speaks about Jesus and the mindset that he had when he came to earth to be the ultimate Moses that would lead us out of sin and death, to become our Savior and set us free from sin. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. Remember what we said about Moses? Moses was the most humble man that walked on the earth until This moment. Being in human likeness and found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what Jesus did for everyone in this room. Have you called upon him as your Savior? Or are you still trying to save yourself? Be good enough, be acceptable enough. Give up your small ambition and give your heart and life to God. Bow down to God. Freedom doesn't come because you get to do and act any way you want. Freedom comes when you give your life to the Savior, Jesus Christ, and you daily give your life back to him. And you say, let me follow you. You're my Lord and you're my master. When we do that and we, we, we live that out more day by day by day by day, we will find freedom that we never dreamed existed. But as long as we're holding our lives in our own hands and running the show, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Stand with me, let's pray. Father, uh, What an amazing passage of Scripture that we've gone through. The picture of Moses was a setup for the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he came and became the ultimate deliverer, the one who was the most humble, the one who didn't risk his life but gave his life. I pray that if anyone is here today and has never given their heart and life to Jesus, today would be the day, they would realize that they need a Savior, they need a deliverer. Their biggest problem isn't bondage outside of them, it's the sin within them. I pray for those of us, Father, who have given our hearts and lives over to Jesus, but we often take them back. Help us to have a time with you today and tomorrow and the days to come about how we might, we, we might release our life little by little back into your sovereign care. Father, help us to find the true freedom that only you can give as we give our hearts and our lives to you day by day, moment by moment, and for that we'll thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.